0: Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, starting at verse 28. And we're going to read down to verse 39. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his... That's right, give him praise if you feel... Come on. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more I can stop right there. We have a praise party right there. I know I'd have one person. Hey, Mike. All right. Now, let's give a little background here in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul is the author of the book of Romans. At the point of writing this letter, Paul has not visited Romans yet. Or should I say Rome yet? But he lets them know that he intends to visit them. The believers there are primarily Gentiles, with possibly a small number of Jewish believers, due to the fact that Jews had been expelled from Rome by Tiberius, but Nero had allowed them to return. Now, in this letter, Paul convinces us of four things up until Romans 8 that we are all sinners, Jews and Gentiles, but God is righteous. We deserve God's judgment, but God is merciful. Salvation is not by works, but it's by God's grace in Christ that we should walk in the spirit, which reveals that we are God's sons. Now, let's go back to verse 28. I'm going to read that again. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, Paul makes a very bold statement here. He says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brother, all things that happen in my life aren't good, and you would be right. But our God is so powerful that he can take the good and the bad or the indifferent in your life and work it together for good to his glory and his purpose. What that really means is that you can't lose for winning. Now, I'm going to borrow something here, and I know I'm not trying to get political here, but we've had a a president who told us we're going to win so much we're going to get sick of it. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could ever get sick of winning. Now, we'll see if he keeps his promise. But we know that the God we serve will keep his promise. Paul didn't say all things that occur in life are good. But we are going to go through some things. And sometimes... The things that you grow through are worth it when you get to the end. For example, some years ago back in 1987, I got engaged to this young lady and I wanted to get married right away. I was like, brothers, I was trying to talk her into it. I said, I would marry you in downtown Chicago in the dead of winter with a Chicago Bulls uniform on. <laughs> Whatever it takes. But she would say, no, nah, I want this big wedding. I want this big wedding. And I was like, man. And I didn't want to wait, but I had to go through. Did it feel good at the time? No. <laughs> to complicate matters even more, she was living in Chicago. I was stationed at Bergstrom Air Force Base in Austin. So we didn't get married till like, what, eight, nine months later. But I tell you something, brothers. When I saw her come down that aisle, I didn't even see her because there was so many people. But when she appeared coming down the aisle, it nearly took my breath away. I looked at my, my mom and she could tell tears were forming in my eyes. I was like, wow. All things work together for good. And we've been married for 28 and a half years. Praise God. Now, Paul makes this bold claim, this bold statement. And he doesn't just stop there he then goes to try to back up what he's just said. So let's look at verse 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, why does Paul do this? Why does he deal with us on this in the beginning? It's because when we get saved, we come from a world that tells us several things. One, we are the product of an evolutionary process. You are the descendant of an ape. Lie number one. Number two, we are all accidents or chance occurrences. Lie number two. We have no ultimate purpose, lie number three. We are born, we live, we die, that's it, lie number four. Guess what, y'all? We've been lied to. Paul tells us the truth, and I want to explore this by looking at five specific terms that he uses. The first one I want to look at in verse 29, he uses this term for no. It means to know beforehand or to foresee. God knew us before he created us. And when he uses that term, it's not just that God looked into the future and saw that you would receive Jesus Christ. It's much more than that. It's that he looked into the future, saw the mess you would get yourself in, saw the problems that you would have, the hateful attitudes that you would have, the loose ways that we all would live our lives, and in spite of all of that, he chose you. (audio) Predestinate. It means to predetermine or to ordain. God declares his plans for you before you were even created. So not only did he choose you, he predetermined a path for you. And what did he predetermine for you? To be conformed to the image of his son. It's not that we're all alike. We're not. But God is so great. He can make us all different, but make us all work together as one, reflecting his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he predestined you for. So he's us. He predestined us. Next, he called us. Now this word call means to bid or to come or to summon. To invite to a great occasion. So God sent the call out. Some of you may not have responded to the call just yet, but don't worry, you're going to get a chance a little bit later on. But he called us. He saw us before he created us. Now we're here, and he sent out the call, and how many of us responded? Oh, I should see more hands than that now. we're going to have a massive altar call. (laughs) He not only called us, but then he justified us. That means to render just, innocent, or righteous, as if you've never sinned. Now, why did he have to do that? Because we all showed up dirty, broken, on our last leg, ready to give out. Because sin does that to you. It saps the life from you. But God justified us. We deserved condemnation, but he justified us. Why? Because he chose us from the beginning. And then lastly, the last term I want to look at is glorified. It means to honor, bestow honor upon, exalt, exalt. In dignity. Now notice, God is so awesome and so great, and he's so sure of himself. Because guess what? We haven't been glorified yet in time, have we? We still live in this earthen vessel. But God speaks in past tense. He doesn't say, and I will glorify you. He says, you are glorified. He calls those things that be, that, that don't be as if they were. That's how God speaks. It's not like us. When somebody asks us a question, we sometimes hedge, you know, maybe I can do it. or uh, I think I will. I think it'll turn out okay. That's not God. When God speaks a thing, it's a done deal. Amen. Guess what? You're a finished work already according to God. Go ahead. Now, why did God purpose to do all of this? He didn't just choose it because, well, I feel like doing something. You know, I'm just tired of being God sitting up in in heaven, and I got all these angels worshiping me and that kind of thing. That's not God. He chose to do all of this because he wanted to set his love upon you. Now, I want you to think about this. God chose to love you before you were even created, before you were even a blimp on anybody's scale, before your parents came together. He chose to love you. I don't know about you, but that kind of like blows my mind. Especially when I think about what I've gotten myself into and what I've done. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's go to verse 31 and 34. Because Paul is through dealing with us. But now he's going to deal with our accuser. It says, I want you to do this. Imagine you're in a courtroom. You're on trial. And Satan is prosecuting you. Paul asks this series of questions, starting in verse 31. In response to what he's just shared, he says, what then shall we say to these things? The fact that you were foreknew, the fact that you were predestined, the fact that you have been called, the fact that you have been justified, and the fact that you have been glorified. What shall we say to these things, brothers? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So he starts, now you know, in verse 31 he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He says that because he knows that the enemy is going to try to come against us. He's going to try to make you question whether or not God is truly for you. Now I had something interesting happen. Here recently. My wife and I, we went to Las Vegas, Nevada to celebrate my brother's 50th birthday. Don't worry, I didn't touch any slot machines or anything like that. While I was there, one morning, I had gotten up to do a little devotional time with the Lord. My wife was still asleep. And I get a phone call. And so I look at my phone. Now, here's one of the unusual things. You know when God, there's a setup in play here? This was a setup because I don't usually have my phone on where it can be heard. I always have it muted because on bass when I teach, I can't afford to have that phone on and it ring while I'm teaching. But I just happened to have it where you could hear it. It was a a ringtone on. And It rang, and I picked it up, and it was my oldest son. My oldest son lives in San Antonio. And so he calls me. Now, my oldest son doesn't normally call me on my phone, so when I first saw his name, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. (laughs) I answer it, and as he's talking to me, I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, it really is something wrong, because he's talking to me about his girlfriend. And his girlfriend is saying to him, Dad, she, she, she's, she's not doing well right now, and she insists on talking to you. I was like, wow, okay, well, put her on. So I started to talk to her. And the very first things that she said was, is, God is mad at me. God is against me, and, and everything is going wrong. He must be upset with me. And I had to let her know. I said, no, God is not mad at you. God is not upset with you. God loves you. He is for you. He is with you. To make a long story short, God gave me the privilege of leading my son's girlfriend to Christ. She thought that God was against us or against her. But Paul lets us know, no, God is not against you. He is for you. So if you're thinking, and you know, thoughts creep into our mind. When things go wrong in life, we start to think, man, is God with me? That's just the enemy speaking. God is not against you. He is for you. In verse 32, he says, God, who gave us his son, If he gave us his son, how will he not freely make available to us all things? The scripture tells us that God will not withhold any good thing from those who love him. If he was willing to sacrifice his own son, do you think he would withhold a job from you? do you think he would withhold anything that you need in your life from you? That's the point that Paul is making. Spiritually speaking, do you think he would withhold anything back from you? No. Think about it like this. If, I wish I had this kind of money, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, I do. I I dealt out a million dollars And I paid for a cruise for everyone here. (laughs) And not only are you able to go on the cruise, but everything on the cruise is available to you. You can eat what you want. You can use all of the exercise equipment. You can do whatever. Whatever is available on that ship is paid for already. Now, this is a seven-day cruise. How do you think I would feel if on day seven, I found out that half of you spent all your time in the room? I'm like, wait a minute. I paid for you to enjoy everything on the ship. Well, it's the same way with God. God gave his own son so that you could have life and that more abundantly. Amen. And it grieves God's heart when you don't enjoy the benefits of salvation. When you don't lay hold of what God has made available to you. That's the point that God here, Paul is trying to drive home. In verse 33, it says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God that justifies. The Bible addresses Satan as the accuser of the brethren. And many times he tries to go before God and accuse us of things. But Paul's answer to Satan is, wait a minute, you're coming to the wrong place. To come to God and accuse His children of wrongdoing, wait a minute. He's the one that justified them. He's the one that declared them to be righteous. So as far as God sees you, he sees you in Christ. The Bible tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So when God sees you, guess what? He sees Jesus. He sees you washed in the blood. Therefore, the enemy can't accuse you of anything that will stick. And if you do fall into sin, guess what? The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin and make us righteous. So the enemy can't lay anything to you, to your charge. And then in verse 34, who condemns you? In verse 34, it says, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So the sacrifice has been made. He's died. He's risen. But you would think that would be enough. But Jesus says, no, that's not enough. I need to intercede for my brothers and sisters to my father. They're praying, the spirit of God is praying, and I need to be interceding as well. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that says that I got people fighting for me. I have God fighting for me. The fight didn't just end at Calvary. The battle continues now. And Jesus is not just sitting idly by doing nothing. He's interceding for us even now. After all of that, you would think the enemy would just give up. But he's crazy, so. But Paul doesn't just stop there. First he dealt with us, then he dealt with the enemy. Now he's going to talk about life's circumstances. In verse 35 he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril? As it is written... For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hallelujah. So Paul says, who can sep- what can separate us from the love of Christ? Contribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. You fill in the blank. What are you going through right now? What are you dealing with right now? What obstacles stand in your way right now? What seems unsurmountable or insurmountable to you? Guess what? It doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. Don't let what you're going through isolate you from God's love. That's what the enemy tries to do. When you're going through something, don't run from God, run to him. Secondly, when you're going through something, don't run from the brethren, run to the brethren. I'm going to say that again because that's one of my pet peeves. We are the body of Christ. You are an important part of the body. Do not let the enemy separate you from the rest of us. I don't care what you're going through. Run to us, not away from us. And if you don't want to share, that's fine. Run to this altar and you lay it at God's feet. Why? Because the Bible says that you are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. I don't care what you're going through right now. Now, what does it mean to be more conqueror? than a conqueror. It means to be an overwhelming victor. A super conqueror. How many football fans we got in here? Compare it to this. Dallas Cowboys against the New England Patriots. The Cowboys win 102 to nothing. That's exactly what it means. You are more. He didn't just say you are a conqueror. He says that you are more than a conqueror. You want to know why you're more than a conqueror? Because King Jesus routed the devil. He routed him. Even in the book of Romans, Paul tells the believers that Jesus shall bruise the enemy's head under your feet. You're more than a conqueror. Now, Paul is someone who can testify to this. No one understood this better than the Apostle Paul. Let's take a quick look at his life. Go to Acts chapter 7 real quick. Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 54. Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, God is using as a powerful witness. God used him to work miracles and all kinds of things. And now he is witnessing to these Jews. And the Jews, they hate what they're hearing from him. In verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes down at the feet of a young man named Saul. Hmm. This is Saul. Saul, who we now know as the Apostle Paul, but he's a witness to Stephen being stoned. He not only is a witness to Stephen being stoned, he, he gives his consent to it. And they, the other people who are going to stone Stephen, they lay his clothes, their clothes at his feet. Go to verse 1 of Acts 8. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church. Which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. As for Saul, I mean, I'm sorry, I skipped verse two. And about men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, women committing them to prison. So this very same Saul is now persecuting the church, dragging people, men and women. He didn't care. You're going to jail. Saul, the persecutor of the church. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Paul is on his way to continue his persecution of the church. But he had an interruption. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, and the way being following Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So Paul is going to persecute and jail more Christians. But the Lord Jesus himself stops him. But notice. Jesus didn't stop him to kill him or destroy him. He stopped him because Paul, who was then Saul, was chosen. He was chosen even before he was created. God chose him knowing he was going to persecute his church. What kind of love is this? Paul went on to write at least 13 books of the New Testament and established churches throughout Europe and Asia. Now, if you're a Paul, you have to wonder about this yourself. I know if somebody was persecuting my family, I'm not looking to save them. You can fill in the blank as to what what I'm looking to do. But Jesus doesn't do that. He saves him and then puts him to work in his kingdom. And not only that, in a lot of people's eyes, the Apostle Paul was the greatest apostle to walk the earth. Man, doesn't that tell you something about how God can turn you around or turn your situation around? What's our thing today? Victorious love. Love that can't be defeated. You know what makes victorious love victorious? It's unrelenting. It doesn't stop until it wins. And because God is love, God doesn't stop until he wins. What is Paul's explanation for why God chose him? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12. It says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So Paul says, basically, God set the standard with me. I'll put it into into today's vernacular. If God could save me, he can save anybody. That's what he was saying. He said, I am the chief of sinners, but God chose me to set a pattern. So never think that you're too far from the living God. Never think that. And how did Paul's walk in? This is how he finished. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Paul finished his race, and he won. And what enabled him to win was the love of God. Here's something, and if you got a pen and paper, write this down. The secret to victory in Christ is not God's power. We tend to focus on his power. The secret to victory in Christ is God's love. It's his love. And I want to end by giving my own personal testimony. I gave my life to Christ at the age of nine. And I knew what I was doing when I did it because my dad explained it to me. And I sought to live an honorable life before God. But then I drifted, got into things that I should not have gotten into. And my life, up until the age of 31 or so, was like this when it came to walking with Christ. I had my up moments, and I had my down moments. And let me tell you, in my down moments, I thought in my mind, how could God still love me? how could God still want me as his child? Because in my heart, I didn't want to let him down. But I kept letting him down. And then I went through a stage in my life, and I may have shared this with a couple people. Some of this, you might remember this, but I went through a stage in my life I like to call my angry black man stage. It was right after the Rodney King riots. And I started to really get into it. I had bought uh, Malcolm X's biography. I had the Malcolm X, X cap. I mean, I was caught up in it. But I remember one day telling my wife, I said, you know, I would convert to Islam if it weren't for one thing. I know too much about Jesus. I know too much about him. And when I was going through all of this, I don't know if I could say that I hated white people. I, I couldn't say that I hated white people. I just didn't have much like for white people. Yes, I'm being pretty honest right now. But you know what? My wife and I, as a couple, for the most part, we went through life by ourselves. We did not have family around us. And we were not part of a church at the time. But I want you to understand how far God's love will go. When we needed help, when we needed assistance, God would send certain people our way. And guess what? They were all white people. (laughs) And not only that, there was a running joke, inside joke that my wife and I used to have. When we would go through those instances, we would look at each other and go, man. Just when you wanted to start hating white people. God would not, because he knew the plans he had for us. And his love did not give up on us. Victorious love. In 1996, I rededicated my life to Christ. And I haven't stopped running since. And it's not because of any power or strength or anything in me. It's because of him. He didn't give up on me. He knew me from the beginning, before I was created. And he basically set me up to win. And guess what? If you're here today, you've been set up to win. Stand to your feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward or wherever you normally stand. Again, every head bowed, every eye closed. I said that for some people, this may be your day. I want to invite you to victory. I want to invite you to winning. See, Jesus obtained the victory for you. But now it is up to you to receive it. And so I want to open up the altars right now. If there is someone here who has not received Christ as their Savior and Lord, I want you to take a bold step and come forward to one of these folks who on the ministry team if you need Jesus and your sins have not been washed away in his blood right now you're on the losing side but that can change in a moment is there one secondly If there are those, you've given your life to Christ, but like me, you backslid. You've had an up and down walk with Jesus, but you want to settle that right now. I invite you to come forward right now. mad at you. His arms are wide open to receive you. Thirdly, if you are just here and you need prayer, you've been going through some things. And you need someone to join with you, agree with you. I'm going to ask you to come forward, right? Keep coming.